Welcome to the South by Southwest book reading stage. My name is Henry, and today I'm pleased to introduce Sally Cohn. Sally is one of the leading progressive voices in America today. Currently a CNN political commentator and columnist, Sally is the author of The Opposite of Hate, which is publishing on April 10th, 2018, a book about why there's so much hate in our world today, why it's getting worse, and what we can do to stop it. She is also the host of the State of Resistance with Sally Cohn podcast. Sally's writing has appeared in the Washington Post, New York Times, New York Magazine, Moore Magazine, USA Today, Time, Afar Magazine, and many other outlets. Directly after the session, Sally will be hosting a preemptive book signing at the South by Southwest <laughs> bookstore, straight down the hall in room 10C. Please give a warm welcome to Sally Cohn. A preemptive book signing. Oh my gosh, a preemptive book signing. There's so many jokes there, I don't even know where to begin. Hi, everybody. Okay, you don't have to be that far away. I won't hurt you. It's cool if you want to be far away, but if, like, in the middle, you feel like coming closer, that's okay, too. Um, here's what's going to happen. This was billed as a book reading, and then my friend who's doing her talk... Thank you, yeah, come on a little closer. Uh, my friend who's doing her talk had PowerPoint and I was at her talk and I was like, oh, okay, cool, all right. You don't like stand here and read in a big room like with, you know, it's not intimate, we're not in a bookstore. So I'm gonna do a little talk uh, about my book, The Opposite of Hate, which comes out on April 10th, hint, hint. If I see you looking down at your phones, I assume either you're tweeting or pre-ordering on amazon.com where it happens to be on sale right now, 10% off, just so you know. Um, so I'm going to do a little talk about the book, and in particular the piece of the book that um, the talk today was titled around, around how to deal with your trolls. I have some really bad ones. You might have some too. You might hate them, but I'm going to give you an alternative. You choose at the end. You can, I'm not telling you. It's a choose your own adventure. Um, so I'm going to do that. Hopefully you will feel inspired, motivated, and all those things. Then we'll do some Q&A. And you can ask me whatever the fuck you want, or you can ask me specific questions about your trolls, uh, and we'll do that from there. How does that sound? All right, nifty keen, South by, here we go. Okay, so let's see, I assume I press, well, that would have been the wrong button. Let's try this one. Okay, there we go. This is me. Thank you. That's a good picture, right? All right, this is me. This is Sean Hannity. And this is me on Sean Hannity. Any questions? <laughs> Just a few? Okay. I am now, if that wasn't enough, if you didn't already know me, if you didn't know that I spent two and a half years as a lefty on Fox News, if you didn't know, and I hope you're okay with this, I'm a lesbian. <laughs> I know, thank you, it's all right. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time, buddy. Um, on the other hand, it brings more in than it sends out, so a net win for me. Um, so if I haven't already, are you still okay? Everybody all right? All right, if I haven't blown your mind enough, here is what Sean Hannity wrote about me for my book. Sally and I agree on very little politically, but somehow in spite of that, we have navigated a friendship that transcends everything else. Right? Okay, so 
When I went to go work at Fox News after 16 plus years as community organizer, I'm not gonna lie, I expected to find this, right? Like I actually thought there'd be, you know, marks in the carpet at Fox News from all the knuckle dragging, you know? I thought they hated me. I thought Sean Hannity, other people on air, the people off air, certainly the viewers, I thought they hated me. Hated who I was, hated what I believed, hated everything about me. And maybe you haven't had the experience of being a lefty lesbian at Fox News, but have you had that experience of going into some environment where you think everyone hates you or doesn't like you, you're the odd person out? And here's what happened. Two things I wasn't expecting when I went to go work at Fox News. One, they didn't hate me. Don't get me wrong, I still thought some of their aspects of their views and the things they were talking about and believe were hateful, but they were actually nice people. Saying it now, it seems really obvious, but at the time, it was a real mindfuck for me. I was like, I was really expecting that when they opened their mouths in my presence, fire would come out, singeing me in my eyebrows. But no, they were actually like nice people, in person, very caring, compassionate, kind, nice people who, believe, by the way, had a lot of the same fears, concerns, hopes, dreams that I did. Here's the other thing I noticed. I hated them. I hated them. But I didn't think I was a hateful person, right? I thought my hate was justified, because they hated me. So I was only hating, like, in reaction, right? It was like defensive hate, which is somehow not as bad as hate that you originate, right? I mean, that's what I thought. All right, all of this led me on a journey to try and understand why we do this, why we divide the world into us and them and habitually decide that the people who are us, who are on our side, are good and right and kind and they are mean and cruel and monstrous. And that was my experience in terms of partisanship and the way I thought about the people who worked at Fox News, the people who watched Fox News, we do this in all kinds of ways. Urban, rural, black, white, you know, educated, not highly educated. We do this all the time, all of us. So that led me to write this book. Again, you can pre-order it right now on Amazon or wherever books are sold, in which I looked at the social science. What actually is going on in our minds when we're hating? Right? I found out that the habit of dividing the world into us, them, what's called tribalism, that is something all human beings do. But how we do it, the categories that we create and cement in those us, them dynamics of hate, those are not baked in. Those are not baked into our minds. They're not baked into our society. Those can change. So in addition to the neuroscience and the psychology and social science of hate, I also found incredible, inspiring stories of people who had left unbelievable lives of hate behind, like a neo-Nazi, one of the top neo-Nazi white supremacist recruiters in the country in his day, who now is a Buddhist. And his best friend is a person of color, and they do service work together or a former terrorist who, 
after he was sent to prison uh, as a Palestinian for trying to kill Israelis, he saw a film about the Holocaust, was so moved about that atrocity that he ended up going and getting a degree in Holocaust studies. And he's now a peace activist. As I figured, geez, if they can leave these extraordinary lives of hate behind, then certainly there's hope for the rest of us. There's too much of this. There is too much of this in our world, of the dividing of us into them and the pitting, and not just over the small things that, yes, I, I, listen, the point of my message here is not stop believing in what you believe in. Don't soften your views. Don't find some mushy centrism in the middle. But the coarseness, the intensity, the severity, the meanness with which we disagree with each other, it's gotten out of control. It's unconstructive. It leaves us all feeling bad. And by the way, it doesn't change anyone's hearts or minds. So instead of that, I wanted to figure out how could we do more of this, right? How could you be where you are, believe what you believe, be passionate about your beliefs and your identity, and help bring other people up with you as opposed to sinking into the mud of hate and discord and meanness and cruelty? All right. So, what does that look like? What does that mean? This is my favorite quote. Martin Luther King. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate is not the answer to hate. Now, I know a lot of us in this room, I'm going to take a leap about you and your beliefs. A lot of us in this room, we think that the other side has a problem with hate, right? And they do. They're racist. They're Islamophobic. They're homophobic. We think they have a problem with hate. I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but I can tell you I have been at dinners since the 2016 election where I heard people, my people, my liberal friends, my gay liberal friends, my feminist liberal friends, I heard people say, I hate the people who voted for Trump. I hate them. They are stupid. They are mean. They are un-American. I hate them. Now, when did hate ever solve hate? And for my part, I thought I was the one, I was on the side that wanted to spread love and kindness and equality and the notion of a fundamental dignity in all people. That's what I represented. That's what I stood for. So how could I hate as a means to that end? Right? All right. This, thus, is my challenge. It's apropos specifically of the trolling and the twittering and all of that, be the light in the shitty dark internet. By the way, it's also be the light in the shitty dark world, but this is South By, so we're going to talk a little bit specifically about the internet. And I do want to stop here for a moment just to brag that I do have the worst trolls. Like, if any of y'all after want to try to match your trolls with my trolls, I will throw down... I have some really good ones. It might have to do with that time at Fox News. I think, pretty sure. Um, and they're, 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 they're mean. They're mean. They're mean. But what I learned in the process of writing this book is 
that darkness doesn't drive out darkness. Meanness doesn't solve meanness. Hate doesn't solve hate. Didn't make them any less hateful for me to respond with hate. So this is one of my favorite tools that I discovered in the course of all this research. Uh, a woman named Susan Benish did research on what creates kinder environments and counters hate online. Because think about it. When you encounter a hate tweet, and this we're going to talk about it in the online context because when I'm at South By, I feel like I need to speak internet. But it applies offline, believe it or not, just as well. When you encounter a hate, like, you know, tweet or, I don't know, do people get, I get a lot of trolling on uh, Instagram and Facebook too because lucky me. But when you encounter it, what do we usually do? Instinct is either ignore it, fine instinct, or to respond with hate. You blank, 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 blank. But again, you feel justified. You didn't start it. It's like we're all five years old again. He started it, right? What Susan Benish found is that instead, if you respond with kindness, generosity, and even a little gentle humor, not only do you feel better about yourself, but you've spread kindness in the internet. You've made that a brighter lighter space, and you've transformed the hater themselves. And I'll tell you, I write about example after example after example of people who did this in these individual small interactions, these moments where someone said something heinously, unthinkably cruel to them online, and people reacted with compassion and kindness, and people ended up leaving that cruelty and becoming kind. Talking about people who actually left right-wing hate movements because of the kindness they experienced online from the people they supposedly hated. Think about that. All right. So this probably needs some explanation. Or maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Do you just want to like let it? No. Um, all right. So a couple, two points about the nature of how to do this, how to do connection speech online. I've noticed I have a dog, she's really cute. And I've noticed when we go to the dog park, she does not ask before sniffing another dog's butt, right? She doesn't say, hey, are you a Republican dog or a Democrat dog? You know, are you a gay dog or a straight dog? She just goes right in there. You know, sniffs first, asks questions later. My point here is, do not take this too literally because that will lead to problems. Don't please, no. My point though is, is that my dog assumes the best in everyone. She just assumes the best in everyone, you know what I mean? Like, and you see, you watch dogs and they meet, they don't like, she doesn't just spontaneously growl at some, right? She, they interact first, then maybe she growls, maybe she doesn't, maybe she wants to play, she doesn't, whatever. But at first, assumes the best in everyone and has a curiosity. Can we be curious about people? About what is motivating them, what their fears and concerns are, what their worries are, as opposed to just being selfish and feeling hurt and harmed? What's hurt them? What's making them behave so hurtfully? So the first is to be more curious about people. And the second is to use some humor. Now, this is really important. It's not humor where you're laughing at people. That's called being an asshole. This is humor where you laugh together. Maybe you make light of yourself, but you end up in relationship bonding because of humor. All right, so to give this a little context before we get into Q&A, I'm going to give an example. So this is a, 
hate tweet that I got in 2014. Now, I don't know if there are any um, Justin Bieber fans here, but do you remember the international incident when he was caught drag racing in Miami? Everyone, it was a big, it was big, it was huge, okay. So, this guy, noted troll Todd Kincannon, tweeted at me, Justin Bieber has escaped from jail, and is tweeting from this account. And then he posted this picture to go along with it. Now, I could respond in one of two ways, right? I'd be like, oh, that's homophobic and hateful and sexist and blah, 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 blah. I'm going to tell you, I am confident enough in my gender identity and sexual orientation to not feel insulted being compared to an international pop star. <laughs> like, wah, 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 right? But I mean, I had a choice in that moment, right? We all have choices in these moments. He, what he said was, maybe it wasn't the meanest thing in the world, but it was, it, was meant, it was not meant to be nice, right? Okay. He was making fun of me, at the very least. I had a choice of how I was going to respond, and this is what I did. I mean, right? Come on, like, of course it made me do a double take. Like, seriously, do we have the head, same headshot slash mugshot photographer? It's a little uncanny. All right, so that's how I responded. I chose, first of all, I chose to see the best in his tweet. I chose to read it in the best light possible and to be a little bit self-deprecating and to say, hey, look, we can laugh. This is, because it's, all right? Anyway. This is what happened. One little tweet. I ended up getting good press. Who get good, good press off the tweet? The one in the back uh, is actually from the right-wing Daily Caller. I got good conservative press. And one in the front, I got Hollywood press. But this is the most valuable point. Here we go. The Daily Caller, the right-wing Daily Caller, interviewed Todd Kincannon, said troll. And he said, among other things, he is now officially a Sally Cohn fan. Aw, right? I mean, that's it. Now, you know it could have turned into an international Twitter incident, right? Oh, that's homophobic, Todd Kincannon, and then, oh, you social justice snowflake, and oh, right? It could have. And instead, it turned into this. Now, unfortunately, the story does not end so well for Mr. Kincannon. So sorry. Wasn't because of my tweet. Um, but the point is, I think it ended better for the world, and it certainly ended better for me. Treat others with the kindness and dignity you want them to reflect. Again, I feel like so many of us, when we look at the hate in the world and the hate coming from other groups, we respond not by saying we're going to be the ones who put more kindness and equality and dignity and include everyone everyone, including the people we experience as hateful, put everyone in that circle. And instead, what we actually do with our actions is we say, yeah, yeah, we want more kindness and dignity for everyone, except those jerks. And yeah, you can say it's not as bad, and in a way it's not as bad, but it is still perpetuating that dynamic of us versus them, of hate, of otherizing, of demeaning and dehumanizing people. So, in closing, um, the other day I was out at night with my, I have a nine-year-old, and we were out at night way too late, obviously, because we saw the moon. 
And she said, Mama, the moon is so bright. And I actually had to stop and explain to her, actually, the moon isn't bright at all. The moon's a giant hunk of dark rock. The moon is only as bright as the sun. The sunlight reflects off the moon. And as I thought about that, I realized, wow, this thing we look at at night, this thing that brightens our sky, that we think of in terms of the romance and the beauty of the night sky, is really just darkness. And it's the brightness of another light, of another orb, that shines on the moon. We have the choice to be the dark piece of rock in the shitty dark internet or in the shitty dark world. We can be the sunshine. And think about that. Not only be light, kindness, good in the world, but actually make the world and those dark spots and dark places and dark people brighter because of how we choose to act, because of what we choose to do. That we don't have to lament the darkness and therefore let that be the excuse for our own bad behavior and for our own darkness and our own hate. But instead, we can be the light. We can be the positive beacon. We can bring the whole world up with us. That's my challenge to you. Don't forget to pre-order the book. Now, I want to hear your questions. It could be about any of this. It could be about your trolls. If you have a particular troll later, come to the book signing. I will actually personally respond to your trolls for you. I'm cool with that. I got that. I've got experience. Um, yes. Tell me your name, too. Hi, Ken. I didn't actually intentionally come here to see you. I was in the wrong session. <laughs> <laughs> I love your but honesty, I'm Ken. really glad I stumbled in because it was a lot of fun um, I'm a lawyer so I wish I had trolls I mean like nobody would even bother trolling oh, you my have website them. you just don't know you have them Ken. maybe maybe WordPress okay, go ahead. but anyway I'm just curious so I don't really watch Fox News I, I sort of avoid TV altogether nowadays so I don't know about your interaction with, with Hannity but I'm curious I think uh, attraction to Hannity well just whoa interaction interaction oh, okay cool not attraction <laughs> All right, Ken, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so I understand what you're saying about, you know, finding them nice people and all that. But then how did you deal with, at least what I would say is, very hateful things that they say on the air and the hatred that they try to stir up in other people? And do you feel like, how did you deal with that? And did you feel like you had any impact through what you're talking about on, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen any major changes that I'm aware of in Sean Hannity, so maybe not. But just how did you interact in that whole world and feel like you made any changes other than just your presence on the air? So Ken, who didn't even mean to be here, stumbles in and asks the million-dollar question. Thank you, Ken. All right. First of all, it's important to clarify I'm now on CNN, although we can discuss whether you should be turning... No, I'm just kidding. But you can turn that on different. Um, Here's the thing. I don't know. Right? Actually, I mean, to be honest, unlike everything I said, which was a heap of lies, no. Um, To be honest... I'm not 100% sure it makes a difference. Now, I will say, and this is sort of like a media training 101 concept, I never am engaged in the conversation to change Sean Hannity. That is a losing game. I will never do that. He is as hardened in his views as he can be. That's why he got his job, right? So I'm not going to change him. The point of being on Fox News or conservative radio or any media whatsoever is because he is an excuse to talk to his audience. And I will tell you that one of the reasons I made the decision to go on Fox News in the first place 
And I'm not sure this is still the case, but when I started working at Fox News in 2010, there were more Democrats watching Fox News than CNN and MSNBC combined. Their audience is just big. And there are people who are, have hardened and more sort of strong and extreme conservative views like Hannity, but there's a range. There's a wide range. And also, no one's a monolith. They may feel very firmly about issue X, Y, and Z, but they're not sure about this one and that one. So there, there are people, I believe, to be spoken to. Also, as a fundamental premise, when I talk about something like social change, what exactly am I trying to change? Like, I have to believe that people can change, that their views can change and grow. And look how much they have. We're not a perfect country by far, but look the progress we've made when it comes to issues of gender inequality and even racial justice. And certainly look how far we've come on, say, same-sex marriage. I actually had a whole bunch of trolls recently on Twitter yelling at me saying, like, what are you talking about? We've always supported gay people. And I'm like, okay, you tell yourself that. That's fine. I'm so glad you're on board now. Like, they're just, right? But, like, that happens so quickly. So, to my mind, that's, that's the reason to start the conversation. And then the second part is, is no matter whatever Hannity is saying, no matter what the extreme version of the conversation is saying, by the way, no matter even what the trolls are saying, we all have a tendency to represent our views in this day and age as more firm than they actually are. We feel like we have to be 100% here or 100% there. And the fact is, we aren't 100%, certain on almost anything. And so having a conversation that allows people to be honest and be open leaves open the chance for possibility for change. And I, that's where I think the world gets better. It's a great question. Thank you. Who has another? Or hi. Oh, hey. Oh, wait. Oh, but she beat you. Sorry. You come next. It's okay. okay go ahead. Great. No, no, no. You got it first. Go, go, go. It's all right. Okay. It's all right. Hi. My name is Mary. Hi, Mary. And um, my question for you is, sometimes you walk into a room after ages of being, you know, in a workplace or something like that, and there's old hate, like people just, you know, have written in their little black book that you'll be there until the end of the, of the earth, and then you can't have a conversation, no matter what you try to do, you can't have a conversation with them about anything, because old hate will come in. Like what? What do you mean? Um, you might have had a disagreement, and then, you, I mean, I will talk about me. This person and I had a disagreement a long time ago and on the job, but I'm telling you like about five years. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, I'll agree to disagree, and she took like this little black mental... Hate like, Mary forever. <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. And everything, even the, the most stupidest thing I might say, and I say a lot of stupid things. Uh, Great self-consciousness. <laughs> she will say, she will, you know, destroy it or make me feel bad about it or just plain ignore it. Yeah. So what do you do about those people? Um, first of all, thank you. Great question. Second of all, What's great about great questions is there's never an easy answer, right? Uh, so there isn't an easy answer to that. And, and, you know, it's very interesting when there's a dynamic, a slightly different in the psychology and social science of it. There's a difference between sort of interpersonal hate and group hate. It actually is different in the way it sort of sits in our minds. It's different in the way it manifests. Um, they intersect, 
in, to the extent that, for instance, when there's a group of people we consciously or unconsciously hate, and we experience an individual from that group, we, all of our biases and prejudices, if they step out of line in any way, we go, oh yeah, well that's the so-and-sos. Whereas we give a pass to people in our own group. So they intersect in a way. Here's my question to you, you don't have to answer it. When's the last time you did something nice for her? I actually got her a promotion. Does she know? You got her a promotion, does she know? Well, there you go. So I mean, it is, there's something a little um, sort of moral jujitsu-y about it, right? Which is that, and, and, and listen, and one of the things I explore in the book is that there can feel, um, it can feel deeply unfair if you feel like the aggrieved party or even the aggrieved group in a dynamic to say that therefore the overture has to be on you or on your group to take the high road, but there you have it. Life isn't fair, and you're still going to feel better. It is, it is an act in a way of selfishness to get rid of that tension and that dynamic. And so doing something nice. It could be buying her a donut. It could be sending her a birthday card. Just doing something nice for her, you taking that first step, you showing her a little kindness and light, could really transform the situation. Try it. Let me know. All right. Yeah. There's like music happening right here. I don't, okay, cool. <laughs> we'll just let that happen. Hi. Hi, Sally. Um, Tell everyone your name. My name is Emily Dubois. Thank you. Uh, I saw you speak at Bumble on, and we've been DMing, so I feel like really excited to connect with you on social. Um, my, um, my question for you is, so I am um, a digital marketer. I work in the beauty industry. Um, beauty has historically had a mean girl reputation, and I, um, in particular, um, when I think of the space that I work in with influencers who are these pseudo-celebrities or celebrities in their own right, um, or even just other personal examples, when I think of the behavior of a troll, right, their first goal is to have that initial response to create the, uh, to create the fire. Then when I think of the second behavior of a troll is to respond. So my question to you is a little bit tactical in the sense of when you have that first um, whatever they're trying to engage you and then you respond with light and humor and kindness, wouldn't, don't they respond again and aren't they trying to engage you further into a conversation to, and are, is there a point in which you just stop responding? So one of the things I did, uh, one of my favorite chapters in the book is I actually interviewed my trolls. I actually called up a bunch yeah. of my worst trolls on, on the phone and I interviewed them. And first of all, what's fascinating is they, like most of them want to talk, right? They, they want attention. Trolls are so bizarre. The, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I will say yes. <laughs> um, not usually my MO, but yes. Uh, but they want to talk. And number one thing I heard so why do you write this? Why do you do that? Why do you troll? What do you... Number one thing I heard, oh, I didn't think anyone was reading that. Really. Didn't think anyone was reading that. So, and here's the thing that, like, once I actually got to know them as people and realized that in a lot of ways they're experiencing pain and suffering in their lives that opened up my, my compassion for them, but also at a general level across the board, they 
feel in the world that they don't have a voice. And they feel unseen. And they feel that comment, I didn't think anyone was paying attention, is half a comment about the internet. Mm -hmm. Right, And there's actual research that I talk about about why it is that we are more likely to behave badly on the internet in particular, and in Twitter in particular. Hello, anyone from Twitter? Hi. Um, right? The nature of the way it's designed. But that, that's half of it. The other half is they don't think anyone's listening because they don't think anyone's listening to them because they don't think they matter. They don't think they have a voice. And they look at someone like me who has a voice. And they're jealous. They think it's unfair. You know, there's all of that that comes up. Yeah. So the first thing is actually, a lot of the times, they won't respond with cruelty. Right? And then second, you'll be surprised. Try it. All I can say is try it. Every troll is different, but I don't want to lump them all together. <laughs> but try it. Okay. A lot of the times, people are, they experience a sort of embarrassment because they're doing something they thought was private. And they're realizing they're doing it in public and that someone's on the other end of that. I actually had someone say, oh, I'm so sorry for whoever it is, the intern or whoever it is who reads your tweets. And I was like, that would be me. <laughs> Who's this intern? Do I have an intern? Where did they go? Right? You know, like, the, the yeah. people are, right? That's not to even mention the guy who, after I called him out, like, jokingly on his hate tweet, long story short, after we talked on the phone, said he actually had a crush on me. So it can go in weird directions here. <laughs> but you'll be surprised. People don't, here's the other thing. People don't think they're mean. People don't think they're mean. I'm talking trolls who say some really viciously nasty things to me do not think they're mean. Nobody thinks they're mean. I've talked to terrorists and neo-Nazis. They do not think they're mean. All the research that people have done. They don't think they're mean. People don't want to be mean. You're giving them an opportunity to be kind and to be better by showing that grace yourself. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, my name's Taylor, and I um, am actually wondering about what happens when your family are trolls. So for, let me give you an example. I feel like for a lot of us, like there are a lot of bad discussions that happened around the Thanksgiving table my whole growing up. But in the era of Trump, it's like you pour kerosene and like lit a match at family mm -hmm. gatherings. So what do you? I would love to like hear about how you know your interactions with trolls that you don't know can be applied to like all the people I'm sure who have family members who either voted for Trump or will endlessly troll them on politics that like you know very well. Right. Um, it's a great question. So two points. First of all, there's a way in which. I, I sincerely hope that your trolls, your family trolling you is not as bad as like anonymous mean people on the internet. But that's an instructive difference. Because if we can respond to the people on the internet the way we might respond to our uncle or our mom or our cousin, which is assuming the best in them, a little gentle, loving ribbing, right? And recognizing that we have more in common and that there's more love there than hate, if we can use those examples from our own real lives, our families and our friends and the people we know, and translate them online, that's actually a gift. So I find it very useful to do that, to have someone in mind when you're doing those anonymous interactions who you're really speaking to and you, you can evoke more fondness for than hate. For a second, uh, and I, I do get it, there's an actual methodology of this, of how to have, look, here's the thing. When you start arguing with someone, all the social science shows, all the brain, the neuro, whatever the hell, I can't remember the word because I'm tired because South By is overwhelming. Uh, the fMRI, the brain imaging, it shows when you get into an argument, 
that the persuasion part of your brain, which is here, shuts down, and the fight or flight mechanism activates. And when that happens, you pick a side. And guess which side people are going to pick? Their own. So any possibility of conversation, engagement, change, transformation shuts down when there's an argument. Right? So the key is keep it conversational. Keep it conversational. And the way to do that is to find something in what that friend or that loved one is saying that you can affirm. Not agree with, but affirm. And usually underneath all of our political views and opinions, there's feelings, right? We don't, when we say, you know, I really think X, Y, Z about the, you know, immigrants or X, Y, Z about guns, we're often not stating facts, we're stating feelings. And I've been through a lot of couples counseling, and I can tell you, you cannot argue with someone's feelings. It doesn't work. My partner says, you hurt my feelings. I cannot say, no, I did not. That doesn't work. Feelings are valid just by being felt. And so if you can understand the feelings underneath what people are saying, that they're scared, that they're worried, they feel silenced, they feel displaced. If you can validate that they're feeling that way and then have a conversation, maybe you feel the same way too, but you draw this conclusion instead. That allows them to still be thinking and engaging with you and rather than just shutting down. Yeah. Hi, Miss Sally. Uh, thank you for coming to Austin. Thank you. We appreciate that. And it's one thing I just heard or learned a long time ago that actions are always negotiable, uh, thoughts are often negotiable, and feelings are never negotiable. Feelings are never negotiable. Thank you. Yes. Oh, thank you. Uh, in regards to your Twitter conversation with Mr. Kincannon, uh, when you got that Twitter, was your response the very first thing you thought? Uh, when you got that Twitter, how long after you got it that you actually responded? And thirdly, and most important for me, uh, well, for people who might be wearing a jacket that looks a lot like mine, uh, how can we remember to either pause or to exhale or to do something before we go, that's right, Miss Sally said I can respond with humor and compassion, and I can do that. Right. So... You know, the first two questions are great questions. I have no friggin' idea. Um, I will say one step in this, thank you, it was a great question. One step in this is actually uh, trying to control your trigger finger. And by the way, that also includes your trigger mouth, right? And also goes back to couples counseling. Like, do not just say the first thing that comes to mind. Take a beat, take a breath, count to ten. Like, all those things are true. Everything we learned in kindergarten, it is still useful now. Also, I find it's very helpful to put a note uh, on your computer. Because, by the way, I don't do, well, sometimes I do a lot of it, but mostly I can type faster this way, so my more reactive tweets are often at my desktop or at my laptop, right? So sticking a Post-it note that just says, be kind, right? Be the kindest you can be. Uh, that helps me take a moment. And if I have any doubts, this is something someone taught me, uh, early on on Twitter, if I have any doubt about a tweet, I don't send it. Right? There's something we all, it's so urgent and oh, we have to say, like, no. Right? It, no. It's not worth it. It's not worth hurting someone. Um, and remembering that there is another person on the other end of that. That there are people out there. There are studies that when we uh, write messages, if we can see like a live video feed of the eyes of the person we're writing to, we're kinder. 
There's also, by the way, studies that if people are asked to post a comment in a comment section and the comments they've read before are mean, they're more likely to write mean things. So remember your role model, even in a small way. Yeah. Thank you so much. So my name is Danielle, and I love the comment that you just said about eyes, because my job is to create virtual face-to-face um, -face video opportunities for people living with cystic fibrosis. Wow. Cool. And so my question is, when these are public conversations, right? And when it's not just targeting a person, but maybe it affects a community. Um, you know, so an example might be somebody living with cystic fibrosis might say, you're, I'm so much sicker than you are, you don't understand what I'm going through. And how you respond to something that could be hateful, harmful, and non-productive to a group of people, but as, you know, what's the role of a moderator who's not in the community to try and keep a safe space? Um. I'm going to give a somewhat general answer. We can talk more, uh, you know, they say offline, but this is offline. We're not online. So I don't understand that metaphor. But anyway, um, part of what I want people to think about is, and by the way, like, let's be clear about something. I am a lefty. Like, I am a lefty. Like, I am very left. Is that clear? OK. So I am not much for centrism and third ways and all that stuff. In this, genre, in this world, though, I'll borrow that concept, which is often when someone says something we find intolerable, intolerant, and offensive, our reaction is to argue back, to point out why they're wrong, to point out why they're offensive, to do those two fists colliding. There's another way. And it can begin with that validating Right? If someone really feels the need to point out, to say that their suffering is worse than someone else's, that's not a comment about you or the community that they're talking That's a comment about them. That's a comment about feeling voiceless, powerless, helpless, that no one cares about them. How awful. How much that, that's, and to be able to. Look, this is an act of grace. It is an act of grace to, go, so to look at someone who is saying something mean, in whatever degree, in whatever way, and to say to them, I see your suffering. I'm sorry you feel that way. And to not let their hate get on you, and not use their hate, and you're talking about a sort of shade of hate, but to not use it to then make you almost reactively do it too. Why? What skin, like, what skin is it off your back to say, that must really suck that you feel that way. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Hello. Hi. I'm curious to ask um, your opinion on a campaign that we're running, AT&T, on uh, online hate, and specifically focused at Gen Z. I hope against it. Yes. Cool. Against it. So far, so good. <laughs> yes. Okay. It's called Later Haters. <laughs> and Later Haters? Oh, yeah. that's so cute. Thank I almost you. wanted to call my book Hater Aid. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. On this. Thank you. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. Yeah. Awesome title, nonetheless. Thank you. Um, so I'm curious, A, what message you think is important to drive home for Gen Z, um, which we're seeing has sort of normalized, not necessarily hate, but they've normalized this sort of subtext and sarcasm and general, like, you know, it's cool to be mean to each other. Yeah. So what would you, you know, what is the message? And also, you know, do you think that's the on-ramp to hate or do you think that's something else? So 
Let me take the first, second one first, um, and it probably warrants more of a conversation, but it is, look, there's some controversy about the relationship between these different sort of iterations of hate, right? It's like tweeting means stuff online related to, uh, you know, hate crimes, right? Uh, in the book, one of the things I talk about, uh, and in my TED talk, by the way, that comes out on Friday, holla, I talk about being a bully in fifth grade. I was a bully in fifth grade. And a lot of people hear that and they say, well, that's not hate. And they say, okay, but the kids, the kid I bullied in particular, the one kid I bullied was poor and ended up being gay. Is that a coincidence that the kids who actually are bullied worse in school are usually poor kids, gay kids, kids of color, kids with disabilities? That doesn't mean that little kids are like consciously, you know, KKK members or something, but there's something about the sort of soup we all are swimming in that then gets replicated at different levels. Similarly, is unconscious bias the same as explicit hate? Well, no, of course they're not the same. But they're somehow related, right? The fact that we all, you know, that the one thing that white, uh, you know, uh, high school and college kids and black cops have in common is that they're all more likely in playing a video simulation to pull a simulated trigger against an unarmed black subject than an unarmed white subject. Now that's unconscious bias. You're not going to say that they're all explicitly hateful, but there's some relation, there's something there. They're somehow related. And so, yeah, I think we have to, especially in an era where we have rising hate crimes and we have a rising culture of otherizing and hate that whether it's worse, and I don't think it's worse than it's ever been because let's be honest, we've had some pretty hateful moments in our country and in the world's history, but it's bad. It's bad and it needs to stop. And the nature of social media is that it amplifies it. It feels worse. It feels more overwhelming. And it feels like it gives kids at an early age consent to behave that way in those formative moments. So I do think they're related. Even if they aren't explicitly related, that's not, that's not the key piece. Um, let's talk about the other piece offline uh, because I'm going to get to this guy's question. I think we're running out of time, too. I'm not. What time? Who knows what time it is? 416. Oh, we're so good. We will talk. Okay, yes. Hi. Hi, Sally. I'm Dan. Thanks for your talk. Hi, Dan. Um, I've just got a question. I'm, I'm, I'm finding it quite funny because we've got a book about the opposite of hate. We've got all these really powerful stories of um, interactions, horrible interactions online. I myself am not a Twitter user. I don't have Twitter. Um, I'm quite scared. You know, I'm quite scared of Twitter. I think that's understandable. And I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, it, do you think the world needs Twitter? Do you think the world needs social media? I mean, why... <laughs> Do you think it is net good? You know, it's funny. Someone talked to me recently about saying I should like, go talk to the staff at Twitter. And I said, listen, I'm, ready to, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready to talk. Um, you know, specifically, listen, I'm still on Twitter. And there are some things I love about Twitter. I used to love it more. I, it used to be a platform of engagement. I would meet people, have conversations about ideas sometimes fans, but sometimes not just people who really had a question or challenge, wanted to challenge something I'd said or something I'd written, and we could really engage substantively within 140 characters, but like, the, 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 I don't mean like substantive in length, but substantive in nature, right? There was something about it, we were there to exchange ideas. I also have made great friends through Twitter. Um, I've had in, you know, important, uh, you know, I've made comments and done things that have had, for me, that have had a, a ripple effect because of Twitter. So I value it in that sense. 
I'll tell you, though, I did um, everything I've done at South by this weekend. The bigger events, the smaller events, whatever. I go and look at my Twitter feed now. I can't find any of that because they're all trolls from a CNN appearance I did six days ago still. All trolls. I mean, you know, every, I can, but it's the volume of the trolling is just so, and it's because, you know, it's not just that the trolls did that, it's because then there was a Daily Caller article and a Breitbart article and a twitchy piece and a whatever, and it's overwhelming. And it happens to me on Facebook, it happens to me on Instagram, it doesn't happen as much. Uh, and by the way, part of it is, is I'm not a big blocker, because how would I have that kind of time? And I don't have this intern that I'm told I have. <laughs> But like that would be a, an immense amount of time, and also it does matter to me that like I want to be kind of paying attention to them, um, especially when it gets into the threats and so forth. You want to know that they're there. Uh, so I'm not going. I think that there is a problem. There is a problem. I believe in the idea. I believe in it because I've seen the good it can do, and I've certainly seen like look that the hashtag activism and the way Twitter has been used to bring attention to incredibly important things. And, and it's, it's, it's sick, and it needs to be, it needs some help. Hey. Hey. Um, my name's Fraser, I'm from Australia, in case you can't tell from my really gruff sounding voice. Good day. Um, yeah, good day. Thank you. Um, I work in advertising, which is a kind of generally disliked field, and... I mean, we had the lawyer earlier, yeah, so no, I don't know. Sort of, there's a reason we're both here, hey. Um, and I'm a writer, so I absolutely agree with your theory about humour. You kind of the moral jujitsu is kind of exactly what we try to do. We have a mantra of lean in. Where if someone starts teasing us, we just tease ourselves along with them, and it works alongside that. But my question for you is how to kind of fight that general dislike that happens on an uh, what's the word? I in, uh, industry. Yeah, oh that's, yeah, that's a word. Industry-wide scale how to actually fight that, because as much as we can make people laugh in ads and things like that, we're still kind of seen as the people that interrupt them before you watch a YouTube video. Does that like, I mean, first of all, you might want to bear in mind there are far more hated industries than yours, so, True. you know, there is something like, but does that like, I mean, other than like kind of an existential awareness about it, does that bother you on a daily basis? Like, are you getting people like, fuck you, ad man? Like, what, does that come out? Does that it's, happen? It's generally a kind of eye roll when you'd say what your profession is, because it seems like you're kind of cashing in on creativity. That's been said to me personally. In my opinion, that kind of fuels me to care more about advertising, because I'm trying to make it good. Yeah, well, uh, then there you go. I think there's your answer, right? You just responded to me with your answer, which is, yeah. I get you, it, it, and that was a validation, right? That was a version of what we were talking about earlier, which is, what's under the critique, right? And, and I don't know, maybe sometimes it is that you're interrupting their TV programs. That seems like a silly reason to hate an industry. But more likely what you're probably getting at is that there's some sense of like you're doing evil things and you're whatever. And so you saying, I get it. That's why I'm trying to use advertising as a platform for good is that exact sort of jujitsu you're talking about of not arguing with their feelings or saying, hey, you shouldn't feel that way because it hurts my feelings or whatever, but understanding where they're coming from and stepping into that with your authentic response. Try it. Sure. Thank you. I don't think you're evil, by the way, for the record. 
Um, and also, it's been interesting to see advertisements. I mean, going back to AT&T, like, companies are in the zeitgeist of the moment and trying to do good and justice in the world. And you're in a position where you can shape that, where you can say, are they going to go the mean, cruel, going back to the question about the beauty industry, are we going to go the mean, cruel, otherizing, demeaning route, or are we going to be an, an outlet, an arm that helps brands and the, thus society lift up humanity, connection, goodness? I mean, come on. That's, you have that kind of power. That's amazing power. Hi, I'm Jonas, and I work at a Danish newspaper as a social media editor. Awesome. I'm really waiting for someone to be like, hi, I work at Twitter. And I'll be like, hey, okay, cool. Uh, Yeah, and um, sometimes when we post stuff about immigrants or something about sexuality, we get uh, people swarming and stuff. Going, yay! Yeah, some of them, and others are just (laughs) writing death threats and horrible stuff that some of it is illegal, so we have to delete it. But a lot of it is like in a weird border zone where it's just really cruel and mean. And the problem is like it is it's kind of trolling, but it's on such a huge basis that we have a hundred people coming in in ten minutes, and then you have, they they start arguing with people, and then the lefties come in and then start arguing with them. So it's really hard for us as media to get in there and be like, hey guys, you know, just be friends. So I'm 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 wondering if you have any idea of what we could do because obviously we can just ban all the trolls but that doesn't make the world a better place, that just makes them go elsewhere. So do you have any suggestions there? So um, it's a great question. I'd actually, my encouragement would be back to you that there aren't enough brands, media brands, that are thinking about this question and thinking about the, the space between, the between either just banning all comments, which is an option, and free for all. That somewhere in the middle, the question is, can you, as a brand, as an outlet, can you... Uh, experiment with modeling, role modeling, a constructive, respectful space for disagreement, where people can, in fact, still post their comments and that they disagree and use comments the way that they're intended, because when they happen, they're magical. It's really great when readers or listeners, whatever the media outlet is, can come onto a platform and see it as a, a new town square, a new public space that they can engage with each other respectfully. So setting that, I think, as an aspiration is pretty important. Uh, And then experimenting as a brand, as a company, with how you do that, um, I think, you know, investing in moderate. Look, I moderate on my own Facebook page. In particular, I will will chastise gently, lovingly. But I will say, like, no, you know, be nice. Just be nice. And I'll say it, by the way, consistently to the conservatives and to the liberals, and that's important, right? You can't be mean either way. Um, having, creating new challenges, creating special spaces within the platform that say, we're going to practice doing this here. We're going to model. We're going to actually, here's a comment, here's a back and forth that we liked so much, we're going to lift that up, we're going to make a story about it. We're going to have these people, we're going to bring these people in and have them talk on video. We're going to, like, celebrate and give attention and highlight to the positive, right? Just even changing the language before your comment section right, where you're reminding people to be more conscious, right? Please be conscious of the fact that whether they agree or disagree with you, these are your fellow human beings. Try to treat them that way. There's evidence that messages like that, just reminding people to be conscious about kindness makes a difference. So you might experiment with some of those and then let me know what works. Thanks. I think we have time for one more question. Hello. Hello. 
My name is Amanda. Um, I just had a question about um, the interviews that are like the phone calls that you made to your trolls. And I know that you write about it in your book. And I'm not familiar with your podcast, but after hearing you speak, I would love to listen to it. Um, um, I was wondering if when you did these phone calls, if they were recorded and if that is something that is shared on your podcast, because I feel like it would be so interesting to hear the actual conversation and how those people would actually respond and speak to you when you're um, great question. Actually, a uh, small preview. Dylan Marin, who has a really great podcast called Talking, T- Conversations with People Who Hate Me. Uh, I'm working with him. I didn't record them, actually. Did I record? Oh, no, that's not true. I did record them, but I didn't record them for sharing because that wasn't the terms of the nature of our conversation. And people are, it, it's very interesting. People uh, are more closed when they think, even if they know someone's going to write about what they're saying, it's contextualized and it's a different, it changes the nature of the conversation and the interview. So, um, but we're working on uh, something together where I'm going to have a conversation, a recorded conversation uh, for his show with One My Troll. So you can stay tuned for that. It's a great idea. Um, oh, I just got the this, this, which I don't think was the this, this. But um, hey, everybody, uh, thank you. Great questions. I loved it. I'm signing little pieces of paper that you can then stick in your book when you get it on April 10th. Um, Thanks so much, really. Fantastic. Thanks for all the great questions and for coming.